Hey, good day, everybody. It's such a joy and a privilege to be with you today and to share the word with you, particularly as it is this most important of days that we're remembering today, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So thank you for joining me. And uh, the title of our message for today is saying yes to love. Uh, and that forms part of our Say Yes to Jesus series. Um, whenever I, I think of resurrection, um, my mind can't help but go to what the, ex the experience of disciples must have been during the time after Jesus' death, uh, then his resurrection, and uh, what that must have been like for them, that Jesus had risen from the dead. I think they must have felt so hopeful and positive about life after the disappointments and the challenges and the difficulties they had when when Jesus was captured and then ultimately crucified how how low they must have been and then on the Sunday to and and in that week after that to experience Jesus is alive again he's risen from the dead I think they must have felt like now they can conquer anything that comes at them that that they, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, everybody tried to kill Jesus, but they couldn't get it right. Surely they were now going to be unstoppable and going to be able to do the, the work of the kingdom and nobody will be able to get in their way. And they must have been so just excited about what was going on, having their minds blown, having completely disoriented, but yet excited and, and going, wow. What is the possibilities for us now with a Jesus that is raised from the dead? And then also the spectacular things that they were experiencing with Jesus that was just next level at that time. It must have been such a wonderful and fantastic time for them. But then I remember the scripture as it puts it for us in John 16 verse 7, where Jesus on this occasion calls them together. And then he says this to them. He makes this announcement to them. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I am leaving. For if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I think that those words must have hit them like uh, just in such unexpected ways that it must have been so difficult for them that Jesus says it is better for them that he goes. Finally, things are looking up. Finally, things are working. And um, they, they, they can be looking to the future. And then Jesus says he's going. He's leaving. He's going to leave them. He's going to entrust into their hands the work that needs to be done. The, the message that has to be preached. He's not going to do it. They're going to have to do it. I don't know how they could have reckoned in their minds that it's possible that that's better for them. I think they could have come up with every argument and probably wanted to come up with every argument with Jesus as why it wouldn't be better for them if he left but I think by now they've learned a few lessons. They've been humbled a bit. And uh, so we don't have any indication that they actually disagreed with Jesus. But I think they, it must have been so hard for them. These words that it's better for you. It is to your advantage that I am leaving. Why would it be better for them that Jesus leaves them at such a precarious time? Right at the beginning of something new that is bursting forth. Not long after Jesus was crucified, leaving them in danger, leaving them with responsibility, leaving them. How could that be better for them? But Jesus says, for if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is saying to him that it's better if he goes, because when he goes, he can send the Holy Spirit to them. Obviously, when Jesus left and ultimately ascended into heaven, the time of his material presence with us came to an end. 
But Jesus said there's a new time coming and it will be the time where the presence of God will be with every believer, in every believer, empowering every believer to carry on, to testify in power of the working of Jesus and what Jesus has done and to make sure that the work of Jesus is not just an historic event, but a living event that takes place in our lives Every single day. And that's what Jesus was saying to them. He was going to send them the helper. The one that would assist them. The one that would come alongside them. That will enable them. Empower them to do the work of God. And that's what is possible as we remember resurrection today. As we look at the resurrection life of Jesus. Not only do we see that moment of the resurrection on Resurrection Sunday, but what it made possible and what it made possible is that the Holy Spirit could come and the Holy Spirit can be with each of us every day, continue to make known to us the, the wisdom, the truth of God and continuing to help us to live as disciples and followers of Christ every day in every space on our front lines, in our families, everywhere we go to live to now be the material presence of God in this world by the power of the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful thing to remember. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 to 11, which is our scripture for this year, I want to remind you of it. It says, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God revealed to us by his Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit with us today, with you, that is here because Jesus left and, and ascended to heaven after the resurrection and sent us the Holy Spirit. It is that Holy Spirit that is revealing to us the things of God every day. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for he who, who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit with them. In the same way, no one knows the thought of God except the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of God with you. That will teach you all things, the scripture says. That will make known to you the mysteries of God. That will that'll enable you, empower you to live the fruit of the kingdom. And to be the one that can testify of the kingdom in his power. That's what's become possible because of the resurrection. Is that Jesus, his spirit can be with us and living with us. The spirit of Christ is present with us. I love Paul's prayer to the Ephesians. Where he says to the Ephesians in Ephesians 3, verse 16 to 19, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, the, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know his love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's what the Holy Spirit has made possible for us today, is that we can know and be strengthened in our innermost being through the power of the Spirit, that Christ may dwell in us because of the Spirit of Christ that dwells within us. And that that Holy Spirit is the one that shapes us, that molds us, that teaches us, that instructs us. And one of the major things the Holy Spirit helps you and me to come to, to terms with, to come to know, to come to realize, is what Paul says here, that 
And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know his love that surpasses knowledge. So as I read in 1 Corinthians, he says the spirit makes known to us the things that's beyond our ability to know. One of those things that the spirit makes known to us is he makes known to us that we are loved by God and what God's love is. He teaches us the love of God. But I want to say to you, he doesn't just teach us about the love of God. He teaches us to know the love of God. And that you know that that word in, in, in the scripture means to experientially know, to not just theoretically know that God loves us, to not just know in understanding, but to know because I experience the love of God. And isn't that one of the most precious and fantastic things that the Holy Spirit does for you and me is he makes known to us the love of God. Because of the working of the Holy Spirit, I can know that God loves me. I can experience that God loves me. I can be touched by God. I can have moments where the presence of God comes and is so real to me that it becomes almost more real than anything else. I can know the love of God. My prayers can be answered. I can hear God's voice. I can experience the Spirit of God in community and know that God loves me because of the community of the faithful. Because the Spirit of God makes it known to us. I encourage you today. Know the love of God. Invite the Spirit into your life and say, Holy Spirit, make me to know the love of God. To not just be taught about the love of God, but to know the love of God. The Holy Spirit makes the love of God so abundant in our hearts that it overflows. He is the divine agent who expresses the love of God to each and every one of us. That's his job. He comes and he changes our lives. He transforms us. He radically transforms us. Because as disciples, as followers of Jesus, we get to know how much we are loved by him. And that goes back to our scripture for this weekend, the very famous and well-known John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Aren't you glad that God didn't just write books about love? God didn't just preach sermons about love or give teachings about love. Jesus came to live the love of God among us, that we can touch him. And as we spoke about it on Friday, that we've got something to point to and say, this is love. That is the love of God. It's a real love. It is an experiential love. If you've never experienced in some way that God loves you. I'm going to ask you to open up your heart to the Holy Spirit. Even today to say, Holy Spirit, thank you that Jesus sent you to come to be my helper. Help me to know the love of God. To experience the love of God today. In fact, I want to pray that for us right now before I carry on with just the rest of my message. I want to pray that for you. Come, let's, let's go to Jesus right now. Lord Jesus, we ask you and I pray with every person listening to me in this message today. I pray right now that you, Holy Spirit, will come and help us to know the love of the Father for us, the love that compelled Christ to go to the cross, 
the love that paid for our sins and forgive, forgave us. The love that has restored us back into the family of God. Help us to know that love. Not just to have heard about it, to have studied it, but to know it, Lord. Right now, I pray for every person, wherever they may find themselves, as they listen and join me in this prayer, I pray that they will experience your love for them right now. And that in the days to come and in the weeks to come, your love will surprise them. Their experiences of your love, whether it be through other people, whether it be because you answer prayers, whether it be because you come and be present with them. In whatever way, Lord, I pray, come, Holy Spirit. Let us know the love of God. And I thank you that I can ask that in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to encourage you, make time. Make time for the love of God in your lives. Perhaps make, it, make time to go to a church service somewhere where you can experience the love of God. Where he can come and touch you in such a real and powerful way. Or spend time with the fellow believers and know the love of God. In Hebrews 12, we are taught something about God's love for us. In verse 28 and 29, the writer of the Hebrews says the following. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. He is a consuming fire. Our God's love for us is consuming. It is not a love that, that is partial or that, that we can have a little bit of. It is not even the kind of love that you can get and, and make part of your life experience, but essentially carry on with your life as it was. When, when we say God loves you, it doesn't actually mean that you know, you're living your life and perhaps you don't feel loved and now you hear and understand that God loves you and now you can carry on with your life and actually just feel better about yourself and have a better self-esteem and, and just, you know, that's not really what God's love is. God's love is all-consuming. What that means is it, it infiltrates every area of our lives and it transforms us. It changes us into different people. It changes us from being self-focused people to becoming people that are focused, first of all, on loving God. To become responsive to Him. To become people that have our hearts softened towards Him. To want to live for Him. To want to be in a relationship with Him. He consumes us. That's a scary thought because when I think of something consuming me, I think, but then there's going to be nothing left over for me. And that's exactly what God does through his love. His love consumes us. We don't want to live, have anything in our lives that's not about him, not to do with him, that's not from him and for him. He consumes everything. He is our all in all. Deuteronomy 4 verse 23 to 24 says, Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When we make things, idols of things, we are actually saying there's things in our lives that is more important to us than God is. And that we look to for love 
outside of God. That we want other things. We need other things outside of God. And those things become the things that we worship. Those things are the things that we declare is worth our loyalty and worth our love and our affection and worth our lives. Those things we worship because we think that they will provide for us. But our God is a jealous God, an all-consuming God, and he is jealous for us. He wants us all to himself. Now, I know when we say the, we hear the word jealous, we think of it in a very negative terms. And surely it is from a human experiential point of view and the way we practice love and jealousy that creeps in is often a problem, a very real problem. And it is a, definitely a negative thing. The, the dictionary, the Oxford Dictionary describes jealousy as in the following way. A feeling or, or showing an envious resentment to someone or their achievement, possessions or perceived advantages. You see, jealousy from a human perspective is a very bad and negative thing because it's, it's all about us. It's about us loving ourselves more than others and, and not wanting them to have more than we have or be better than we are or have greater opportunities than we have. And therefore, we become jealous and we covet. And it's because we worship ourselves. We worship our own desires, our own needs. And when we do that, we're jealous over others. God's jealousy, however, is different. J.I. Packer describes it in the following way. He says, it is his holiness reacting to evil in a way that is morally right and precious. It is a praiseworthy zeal on his part to preserve something supremely precious. You see, for us, we get jealous because we feel threatened. God is jealous because not he's threatened, because he can never be threatened. God can never be threatened. He's God. Nothing threatens him. He's complete. He's perfect in every way. God is not experiencing lack or not feeling that things are slipping away from him or that he's not getting what is due to him. He is complete within himself. He needs nothing outside of himself. So how can he be threatened? How can he be jealous because he's going to not get something? No, when God is jealous, it's because of he's jealous for us. He is jealous because something is going to harm us or something's going to put us in a place where we are going to be hurt or harmed. God, When God says God is jealous for his glory, it's because his glory is the best place for us to live in. He's not insecure about his glory. He knows who he is and, and he, he is being glorified. But if we live in a space where God is not glorified, we suffer, we get harmed, we struggle. And so it is his holiness reacting to evil in a way that is morally right and precious. It is praiseworthy zeal on his part to preserve something supremely precious. God is jealous for us because we are supremely precious towards him. Therefore, God can never just stand idly by. He can't just shrug his shoulders and say, oh, whatever. If, if, you, if you don't want to love me, then that's your business and I'm not going to do anything about it. No, he jealously guards over us. He jealously stands in the gap for us and wants to protect us and preserve us. He fights for us. God gets angry at that which harms us and that which tries to steal us away from him and all the good that is possible and available to, uh, to, uh, for us in him. He is jealous for us. God fiercely guards his place of supremacy in our hearts for our sake. He is the only one that can 
be absolutely jealous because he's the only one that created and redeemed us. And that has the right because his jealousy comes out of love, not of selfishness. Not of self-awareness, but other awareness. He wants us to be loyal to him, to love him, to respond to him because that's the best place for us to live. That's the only place we can live. And so therefore, one of the expressions of God's love is his jealousy for us. God, get, God gets angry when people reject him. He doesn't just shrug his shoulders. We can become so twisted in our view of love that we think God's love means that, ach, you know, he'll never get angry with us. He, he will never harm us or judge us and everything is okay. We forget. Let me go back to John 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world. Yes, God's love is supreme. That he gave his only son. God is prepared to give whatever is needed because he loves us. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God wants us to be with him eternally. But if we stand against him, we will perish. We will be judged. We will experience the anger of God against us. But we don't have to because that anger has been poured out upon our sin as Jesus died on the cross for us. But we must not think that God is this God that doesn't get upset or angry by sin. He's a jealous God. He's jealous for you. Today, God is saying to you, I have sent my son to die on the cross because I want you to be with me. I've paid the price. So turn towards me. My love is jealous for you. His love demands and expects our loyalty and our covenant with him. Our promise that we will live our lives with him and for him and that we'll give him everything, 100% of ourselves. It, he, his love demands and expects that we are exclusive with him, that we don't share our hearts with anybody else, but that he or anything else, but that he is the only one that is our Lord and our King. And we love him more than anything else. And that's why today, even as we think of resurrection, I want to link that to the jealousy of God because, because Jesus is raised and now ascended into heaven. His presence is with the Father and he's forever interceding at the right hand of the Father, jealously guarding our place and right to be with him for all eternity. Jesus loves you. Jesus has acted on your behalf. Jesus was moved by his love for you, to become righteously angry at sin and at evil. And he stood up and he acted on that anger and he fought the enemy. And he allowed the enemy and, our, and us through our rebellion and wickedness and sinfulness to kill him. But then he rose on the third day. Death has no hold on him. He rose on the third day and he arose to say that I have come that you may have life forevermore. If you believe in me, then I have fought sin and death and have conquered it. And in me, you can be free from the law of sin and death. But then you have to believe in me. I want to encourage you today. I want to invite you to say, Jesus loves you. you have, and we have the Holy Spirit that will make that love of Jesus real to us. 
the love that is a consuming fire that takes all of us and brings us every bit of us into a relationship with him. He's jealous for us. He doesn't want to share us. He wants us all for himself. And he has the right to do that because not only did he make us, but he died for us and he redeemed us. But we can't do that on our own. We can't be loyal to Jesus. We can't love him with all of our heart unless we accept his sacrifice and the working of the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you today. I want to pray with you as I end. Give your life to Jesus. If you have prayed a prayer and you have said, Jesus, here's my life, I want to encourage you, do it every day. Give your life to Jesus. Surrender to his all-consuming love and say, Lord Jesus, come and consume me. Less of me and more of you, Lord Jesus. I want to know you more. If you have never prayed that prayer, I'm going to pray with you right now and ask that you pray this prayer that we call the prayer of salvation and ask Jesus to come into your heart to become your savior, to consume you, to remake you, to reshape you into the image that he has made you to be, the person that he's made you to be, so that you can be saved and live life in him and in his great love for you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that you sent your son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. will live with you for always in right relationship with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came, that you died for me, that you didn't just take my rejection and allow me to just reject you, but you fought for me. You fought against sin and darkness and death for me. And thank you, Jesus, that I can today come and surrender my life to you, give you my life, and recognize that you have the right to my life. I give you my life, Lord Jesus, and I say, it belongs to you. Consume me, Lord Jesus, to become more and more like you, to live with you and in you. Help me, Lord, to not have a, a heart that is double-minded, that wants to give you some and the world some and myself some, but I give it all to you today. Save me, Lord Jesus, from sin and death. And I thank you that because of your death and resurrection, I can be saved. And that if I've prayed and asked you to forgive my sins right now, I am saved. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've prayed the prayer and if you want to connect with us, you can send us an email at talktous at hatfield.co.za and we'll gladly connect with you and communicate with you and see how we can help you on this journey of becoming a follower of Christ. May the Lord bless you. May you have a, a wonderful Resurrection Sunday. And may from here on forward, you'll just be more and more consumed by the love of God for you. Bless you.